Coming Home Well, a multi-channel network of podcasts geared towards educating, supporting, and advocating for the veteran and veteran caregiver communities. Listen on your favorite platform. New episodes every week. Search for your favorite podcast by name, Coming Home Well, Behind the Service, Beyond the Front Line, Be Crazy Well, and Peace After Combat. Or visit our website at cominghomewell.com. Until all are home and all are well. Welcome back, listeners. Thanks for tuning in today. I'm Libby Bates, and we are joined by Dr. Dan Perot from the Uniform Services University of Health Sciences. Dr. Perot, thanks for being here today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Dr. Perot was the primary investigator on the study of CTE and the brains of military personnel that was published June the 9th in the New England Journal of Medicine. And so we had some caregivers with questions regarding the study, and the best way to answer those questions is to have you come on provide some more clarity for everyone. And there are quite a few questions. So if we don't get to all of them, I will send those over to you and um, hopefully you get those answered if you don't mind. So happy to do so. Perfect. So before we dive into the questions specifically, could you give us a brief overview of the study? Basically, there have been questions raised as to whether the service in the military was a uh, risk factor for developing CTE, this disease that's been mostly described in former professional context sport participants, primarily NFL football players, hockey players, rugby players, et cetera. And these questions were raised based on some data from just a handful of cases that really hadn't been particularly well described. And nobody had really looked at whether CTE was prevalent in the uh, military cases. And there was a suggestion even that repeated exposure to blast could produce CTE. And so I run the EOD USU Brain Tissue Repository, which is essentially a brain bank that collects brains from individuals who have served in the military and have died and whose families have uh, chosen to donate the brain for use in research. So we had a large collection of brains derived from military service members, many of whom have been extensively exposed to blast, many of whom have prominent persistent symptomatology that look very similar clinically to CTE. The only way you can diagnose CTE is to do an autopsy to look at the brain under the microscope. And so we looked at 225 consecutively acquired military brains in our brain repository for the presence of CTE. And basically, we found that of the 225 brains, only 10 showed evidence of CTE on microscopic examination. Of the 10, five barely met diagnostic criteria. The degree of involvement was so minimal that they barely met diagnostic. But importantly, when we looked at who those 10 individuals were, they all had participated in contact sports prior to enlisting in the military. So basically, our conclusion was that by and large was not, that certainly exposure to blast did not seem to be related to the development of CTE, and that when you see CTE in the military, it's in the setting of prior participation in contact sports, particularly football. CTE was found in 4.4% of the brain studied, correct? Correct. Okay. Yeah, that's- 10 out of 225. Okay. So while adverse events incurred during military service may not be the sole cause of CTE, most service members are athletes and risk takers. 
So if we're to apply that 4.4% figure to the active duty and veteran population of over 20 million, that would be nearly a million with the disease. Potentially, these 1 million men and women will wind up in the VA medical system. So I I have a two-part question. If the 4.4% holds true, would you still consider CTE to be relatively rare? All right. Now, let's look at this. If this study had been CTE among chefs, okay, and you studied them and you found 4.4% of 225 chefs, people working in the kitchen, mm-hmm. had CTE, would you then pick, multiply by all the chefs in the United States or in the world to determine a figure for the problem with CTE in chefs? No, you wouldn't do that. That wouldn't make any sense, okay? And the important thing is, as we said in the paper, you cannot use these figures to generalize with the total community, all right? And more importantly, this study showed that the military experience, particularly on the battlefield, particularly blast exposure, was not related to the subsequent development of CTE. It had all been the background of prior participation in contact sports. And so to lay this to the feet of military experience, we feel is incorrect. In terms of risk of developing CTE following playing contact sports, definitely something of concern, but that's a separate issue, really. We were really looking at what is CTE experience like in the military, particularly related to military activities, particularly blast exposure. Now, how are you supposed to differentiate the difference between impact versus blast versus them being in contact sports? How can you tell the difference if it, you say it's impact and it's not blast related? How are you supposed to tell the difference? The impact TBI is different than blast. The physics are different and actually the pathology is different. Well, obviously, individuals who are in the military have that incidence of impact TBI as well as blast exposure something that an NFL football player would not experience unless they had been in the military. At any rate, at the end of the day, you have to look at the results in terms of the pathology that we found or didn't find with respect to why is that happening and what are the driving forces that are leading to that pathology. Okay. And when you look at fairly large number of cases with extensive blast exposure and you don't find CTE, you begin to say that's probably not a driving force in terms of the development of CTE. It's probably not a significant risk factor for developing CTE. There's something else. And then lo and behold, you find there is participation in conflict. There was a, a second part to that question. What can be done to help VA clinicians support service members with suspected CTE? In short, to believe in CTE and help families address the associated issues. Well, let me start by saying then as, as part of what my activities have been, I have given a very substantial number of talks to significantly large groups of service members, their families, hired service members, and their healthcare providers. And I start the talk by saying, how many of you think you're at risk for CPE? And the response is almost universal, whether it's the service members, their families, or the, their healthcare providers. So there is this almost universal belief that if they become symptomatic, the nature of the problem is CTE. And our study did not find that risk was substantial and that there are other factors. Now, I think it's important to realize that we're not saying 
that because we didn't find CTE, those brains normal, or that blast exposure is not producing changes in the brain that could be related to these symptoms. No, we published on that as well, but that was not being addressed in this particular study. What we're saying is to lay it to the feet of CTE in the setting of the military, particularly if you've not played contact sports, is probably a mistake. If the individual has played contact sports, then there's a consideration that there may, this may well be CTE. But even there, what we found is that the degree of involvement of the brain in most cases was quite mild, even raising concerns that with one lesion being identified in the brain, could this in any way be related to symptom cognition? Now, in terms of the healthcare providers, right, CTE is a disease for which we have no therapy. And diagnostics, it's still work in progress. I think it's safe to say that we don't have a definitive means of making the diagnosis and so we still want. But in terms of considering what are the possibilities diagnostic of an individual patient being valuable, if they had a military career, been exposed to blast, but have not played contact sports, then I think based on what we found, the likelihood that this is related to CPE. I think I had a question about that on down the thing. So let's, I'll just keep going because there's so many. Was there a commonality of symptoms in those veterans found with CTE? First of all, with small numbers, so hard to talk about commonality. As I recall, suicide was fairly common in the group, but of course, in a post-mortem study, you have to die and one of the participants. So you have to take that into consideration. But I would say no, but if one looks at, at reported cases with CPE, particularly among the contact court athletes, the symptoms that they manifest are very similar to what we're seeing in the in the service in the post-ecology that is so prevalent. Now, that doesn't mean it's the same disease, folks. The symptoms in these cases were rather prominent. And there's one other aspect of this that I think is also important. Most cases of CTE develop late after the impact TBL. They don't, the, the football players, by and large, there are some exceptions, but by and large, get, go through a career, retire, typically have a successful business career, do sports casting, seem to be functioning perfectly normally, and then later on in life, become symptomatic. In our service members, we're seeing the symptomatology post-deployment. They get it almost immediately. I mean, within months, or they come back from the finals completely symptomatic. That's typical. That doesn't fit the pattern of development of CTE. There's a disconnect there in terms of that aspect of the symptom. Do you suspect that age and sample size to be a factor in the outcome of the study since the average age was around 48? Yes, I think that's one caveat that I would like to, to bring up. We may have sampled too early in that the, the patients that we found, by and large, were mostly young. And if, it, if there is this period of what we call latency, in other words, between the injury to the brain and the development of CP, we may have sampled too early. And it's hard to predict what might happen down the road as the individuals who are heavily exposed, particularly in the last 20 years, war against terror in the Middle East, IEDs and suicide bombs, and et cetera. We may find CPE later on, okay? But so far, we haven't seen it, but we're still, we're already seeing the symptoms. 
So basically what I'm saying is that the current avalanche of individuals who are symptomatic close to foreign at this point now is not CPE based on what we've seen. Okay. Whether we'll see cases of CPE down the road, it's hard to predict, but we're going to have to look for it. In terms of the sample size, this is a fairly large sample. 225 cases is a large sample, but it's by no means exhaustive in terms of the whole cohort. You've already brought that up. I think one has to be careful about generalizing our findings from the entire military experience. But I think that if this were a substantial problem, if this were responsible for the large numbers of individuals with these persistent symptoms, we would have seen it. So okay, we have so to look for other causes for that symptom. Sure. And we don't know what those are as of current. No, I think that we've published papers on what we think are some of the factors, some of the ways in which glass exposure can damage the brain. We didn't address that in this study. Those are undergoing, and that'll be a subsequent paper. But all we're saying is it's not CTE, it's something else. Okay. And the link between CTE and contact sports seems to be even stronger now after this study, while the link between CTE and blast exposure seems to be weaker. What would you say to military service members who are suffering and think that they may have CTE, but don't have a history of contact sports? That it's another problem, that, that it's not CTE. In, in all likelihood, it's not CTE, but it's another form of damage to the brain that's not CTE. What issues or limitations did you encounter while conducting the study? There are a variety of limitations. We spelled them out in the paper very specifically. This is a post-mortem study. One has to die to, to participate, if you will. It's a, what we call a convenient sample. And that's a, clearly a limitation, but it's a limitation of all studies like this, including the studies that have been done on the NFL players. Uh, there are inherent biases within them. However, the biases, uh, we see the biases as being likely to increase the frequency of CTE rather than decrease it, in that you would think that people who would choose to donate the brain would be from families in which they were heavily symptomatic, where they were concerned about it, where there were unexpected deaths such as suicide or overdose were heavily represented in the cohort. So if anything, that would bias towards a higher frequency than a lower frequency. Now, the other limitation is that we get our histories based on interviews of the next spouse here. Those are variable in terms of how much information you can get. You don't have the individual available to interview while it's still a while. And so there, there is a limitation there in terms of how much information we have on what their exposure might be. There may be more, for example, there may be more individuals that participate in contact sports but the next thing just wasn't aware. Of it. And that's why it's important to write down all of your head injuries, any type of trauma, impact, blast injuries, to journal those and write those down so that your family members do have that information. Sure. It helps researchers like yourself. That would have been very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So can you explain why your research and the prevalence of CTE in the military is so different than the research at Boston University? with Dr. Ann McKee, where they're finding a higher prevalence of CTE in military brains. I'm not privy to, to Dr. McKee's database. However, just guessing, if you will, that group has really emphasized their work on contact sport athletes. And the fact that many of her patients that were in the military 
What types of things should service members do to assist researchers like yourself? Obviously, we couldn't do this study without donation to the brain team from the next day. So the concept of brain donation to support this. We obviously want the service members and the veteran to use their brains for as long as possible. As you say, documenting those incidents of brain injury in the life of an individual is important their exposure to glass, their participation in contact sports, their incidents in, in motor vehicle accidents, et cetera. That would be very helpful, as well as documenting the symptomatology that's been more they're experiencing. All of this would help in the first. the best we can, but if we had the more information we have, the better we can keep. Listeners, if you would like to reach out to GunnyWarriors.com, they do have journals that you can use to document your symptomology for your service member. It's Gunny, G-U-N-N-Y-S, Warriors.com. Another question. Sorry, there's a bunch of them here. Um, Let's see. The 225 brains study were donated by family members, presumably because their loved ones were suffering from something and they wanted to know what was going on, correct? No, not. no, this is a military brain bank. We accept any donation from an individual who has served in the military, no matter what the cause of it, no matter what the symptom of health. And so many of our cases, it's a completeness. And we take all from this, not just studying the post-deployment problem. And I think that's very well reflected in terms of the entire cohort and certainly in the 2020 Yes, there were a significant number of suicides, a significant number of overdoses, accidental deaths. This occurred. As I said before, you have to die to, to be part of this study. Mm-hmm. And so they need to get brought to death. But many of them were natural, natural causes, heart attacks, pulmonary emboli, variety of causes of death. And individuals, we have individuals who were never deployed, who served as cooks and clerks and one individual who deployed twice to Japan. He had any battlefield experience in that relatively short career. So it's a wide mix. And I think it's probably reasonably reflective of the entire military award, but we can't actually say that. What was the percentage of brains that were exposed to blast? Like you just said, some of them didn't have combat experience. Does that change the results? No. No, I don't think so. I think in the paper, we report that I believe it was 45 of the brains had a history of significant blood based on either what the next thing or what they did in the military. That's probably a low estimate, okay? Because some Mexicans say, we didn't want to talk about it. I don't really know what, what went off, okay? But I believe there were 45 patients in there who had a definitive blast exposure history and some of these were very expensive. And of those 45, only three had CTV and all three had a contact sport. So you're saying that all 45 also played contact sports? No. Okay. All 45 had blast exposure. Okay. And of okay. the 45, three who saw CTV in, but 42 who didn't see CTV. Hmm. Right. And when we look at who were the three with blast exposure and CPD, they've all played contact sports. Let's see. What about genetics? Does genetics play a role in it? Is it possible to find a genetic link between people 
that develop CTE after contact sports opposed to those who don't play contact sports? There are always genetic differences. Every disease, including CTE, this is environment and genetics and downwaves of the relative either resistance or sensitivity to develop CTE in this environment. In a study of this size, really very difficult to do without those genetic influences. We are, we are undergoing extensive action genetics and surveys of all, all the cases in the brain repository to look for tech issues, but it's still too early to get anything. Nothing has fallen up so far in terms of specific genetic features. Okay. So the specimens that you use, do you take the genomes from those? Do you store them somewhere? We request additional consent for doing genetic based studies from our next defense provided we have a facility to do full genome sequencing. Okay. And the brains that you were studied, I think you already covered this, but we'll ask it. And the brains that you studied were family members most concerned about an issue such as PTSD or CTE. And are you able to give us an idea of how many were, for lack of a better term, controlled subjects with no concerns for just study subjects with concern? Good question. Okay. Many of our families are concerned about what happened, particularly those who are prominently symptomatic. They go off to war, they get deployed, they come home from deployment, and they're saying, what's happened to them? Personality is changed, not like he used to be. He doesn't seem to be able to function in the way that he used to. Having problems remembering things, he took the time sleeping, he had mood swings, and this was just out of character to prior to this thing. And they want answers. And they're searching around for an answer. They go to the VA, they go to our military treatment facilities, and quite frankly, very often they're not getting anything definitive in terms of what's going on. And at the point of death, on a freaking way our families return to us and say, can you explain what's going on here? You just don't know. So we do a very exhaustive evaluation of each one of them. At the end of that, we offer the family a report on what we found and what it means. And we also offer to sit down with them and discuss the findings face-to-face. We're over the phone or the Zoom call. This. And very often our families take us up on this and we do this uh, part of what we do. I think this gives our families, it gives them, the family some closure in terms of getting some answers on what was there and what was not there. Not infrequently, they're concerned about CPE. And in most of the cases, as you can see here, we say, no, this is not CPE. However, we did find this, that, the other thing. The other thing that I think has been very helpful who are donor families is the idea that although they've lost a loved one, through the donation of the brain, they're still serving their country. They are participating in research on an important problem that they learn, they know about, they've experienced, and that these can be That the loved one is still serving the country. And again, this can be important in terms of their program. Right. What typically is an event where it's an unexpected. And then following up on that, have you seen any correlation between the concern for CTE from donor families and the findings of CTE? It's not a a scientific approach, but how much weight do you give to gut feeling? That's the question. The scientists, I don't. 
<laughs> you don't get like a feeling. You don't get scientific. Not that I don't have got feelings, but I'm leaving at the doorstep when I'm walking to the lab. At any rate, no, I know what the question is asking. We looked at a number of different factors to see whether it's harrowing with the presence of CPT. GPS, diagnosis of CPS, substance. None of those things far away from the presence of CPT. So you're, so you're saying there isn't a correlation between suicide and CTE then? No. In this study? In this cohort. Okay. okay. There were lots of suicides. There were 47 suicides. Something like that. In the cohort. But if you looked at whether there was any correlation with the death by suicide and the presence of CPE, there was a suggestion that those with CPE had a higher rate of suicide, but it wasn't statistically significant. We didn't have enough cases of CTE, which we had a lot of cases of suicide. We didn't have enough cases of CTE to push it over the statistical significance and barriers that you know, need to use it in the scientific. Okay. So in an earlier study, and I guess I should have got the study from them, but from this question, but in an earlier study, it seemed to show that two variances, younger subjects with behavioral issues and older subjects with more cognitive issues. Do you think that CTE will present with different variants? We couldn't address that in this study. We only 10 cases and some of them were very mildly affected by the bowels. And the clinical information we had on them was rather durable and not what you'd like to see in a more detailed, what have been particularly longitudinal study. Those kinds of studies are underway, not so much in the military setting. I don't think I can answer that question in terms of our experience with this study. I'd be speculating the case from reading little to really what I've seen in them. Okay. Do the results of the study change your scientific opinion? on the effects of blasts on the brain of our military service members as it relates to CTE. Evidence of CTE later on down the road. Uh, yeah, I think, yes. I think basically we went into this study thinking that blast was a risk factor for CTE. That was our problem. We had no data. I was concerned about the, the latency issue, but we had no data. So I said, all right, this is part of our mission. We're going to look. We're going to collect brains, and when we have enough brains, we're going to see if we can answer this And that's what we did. When data came back, it was very clear that blast exposure was not a risk factor for CPT, and that the neurologic behavioral issues post-deployment could not be assigned to CTD. We had to look for other aspects, brain damage related to blast, to explain this. And we've done some bubbles on that, and that's ongoing work. Ongoing work. So will you be doing more studies like this one, you know, studying the CTE to make, to make sure that your information is accurate? We continue to collect specimens. We now have over, just over 300 specimens. Every case is tested for CTE. It's extensively sampled, looking for CTE. That will continue as we go along. New data hasn't really changed things much, but we will continue to do that. But more importantly, we'll continue to look for what else is there. Mm-hmm. Not it's not that, okay, you didn't find CPD, it's a moment break. That's not the case. We'll continue to find answers which will explain this symptom intolerance, but I don't think we will be that point. Okay. And what do you say to people who believe that the Department of Defense is trying to hide the extent of blast injury on the brains of our service members? I'm going to ask them. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Okay. It's not been my experience. I've been in contact with the military highest levels in terms of discussing this problem. This is a particular concern. I really can only speak to the Department of Defense, right? But I have not seen anything in terms of a tendency to try to hide this problem. Anything is to support studies that better understand it, try to mitigate it possible through understanding it. And CT has been found in the spine. Are you looking at spinal cords and fluid of those specimens in the studies? And if not, will there be one? Logistically, it's difficult for us to put spinal cords in a case. When we can do so, we do it, but it's rather unknown. When we can, we will. Now, is, have you found in any research that there is a higher incidence of CTE in the spinal cords of individuals versus the brain, or has that been studied? And I don't know that there are any cases that have ever been reported in the experience called CTE in the spinal cord and not in the brain. So you've got to find it with the friend. That's where you diagnose whether it has involvement in the spinal cord is a separate issue. We aren't really talking about a spinal cord in an exclusive form of CTE. Did you say an exclusive form of CTE? Yeah. The question here seems to imply that there may be cases that involve the spinal cord, which because you haven't looked at the spinal cord, you may have missed the diagnosis. Right. No. Okay. There isn't a concept of spinal cord CTE without brain. Since we're looking at the brain, we're not going to miss these cases because we haven't. Gotcha. And then a last question, and then you can wrap it up for us if you'd like to. What's next for your team and why should people donate to your lab? This is an important issue in the military, for veterans, and for the nation. We need to better understand what's going on, what understand what the nature of this is, to better diagnose it, to find effective ways of treating. And that's what our lab is all about. And so donate specimens. Whether the individual served in the Middle East, whether the individual was symptomatic or not, are extremely important. Obviously, we individuals who haven't been exposed. We need to study individuals who are not symptomatic to compare. So the role of that is important. So this research is to continue to need to be tested. What's down the road? What's next? We are working very hard and have some very interesting preliminary findings in terms of the means by which we can diagnose the effects of flaws, keep them living, to diagnose nature of damage that occurs with flaws that's not secreted. And so, in living. And that's true. That's one of our meeting districts. Actively working on that. So, your official stance then on blast injuries to the brains of our service members. You don't believe that blasts cause CTE? Is that your official stance then? That's the, that's one of the conclusions of this study. And I stand by my group. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, I know what my question was. The, uh, is, was there a significant neurological issues with those that were positive for CTE? Did they have a lot of neurological issues in their life? Yes. I mean, the- all right. Did you want to add anything that we didn't cover? No, I, hit you with, I hit with you a lot of stuff there, but there was a lot of many questions. And I think that it really covers what the study was all about, what the findings were, and how we interpret them, and the message that they provide to the service members, their families, the veterans, particularly those who suffered from these long term consequences, and trying to understand how this happened and what's going on. 
What advice can you give to service members who are experiencing unexplained symptoms that do have traumatic brain injury? Do you have any words of advice for them and their families? That is perhaps the hardest question to ask all. And I get it very well. And it's a very difficult question in that you really don't have effective means for treatment. There are some aspects of this problem that respond to certain treatments, but in the totality of it, this is a difficult problem. And individuals with this problem struggle daily with it. Their families struggle daily with it. This it puts great strain on the families and symptoms. Some of them can be effectively treated. Some can be partially treated, but many of them have, are really refractory any known treatment of the Sorry to provide that kind of a message to them because they're really searching for answers. And I think that there's a lot. This is an area of active research. Needs to be supported more rigorously. We need more research in these areas. We're starting to make some progress here. This is going to take time. The complex problem. They recognize the importance of it. It's a relatively recent. It's been going on years. And so we're, we've got a lot of catch up to do. But, but that's about the best way I can answer this question. And yeah. It's very frustrating to me. And I know it's very frustrating to those families together. All right, Dr. Pearl, I appreciate you. Service members with or without traumatic brain injury can sign up to donate upon death to the Brain Tissue Repository. Let me one thing. Sure. What I've been saying this all along. We have a website for the Brain Tissue Repository. Mm-hmm. www.researchbraininjury, one word, just researchbraininjury.org. And you go on that website, there's all kinds of information about the repository, how to donate, what our work has been, some of the media coverage that we've had, and interviews with families who actually donated and the response to having donated. It's a lot of good information on the website. And the 800 number where you can reach us. And that number is 855-366-8824 if you're interested in pledging your brain. Dr. Pearl, so good to see you. I appreciate you coming on and taking the time to talk to me. This was a lot of tough questions from some caregivers, but, you know, I appreciate that, actually. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak to the audience and get answer all those questions. And you have to me. Okay. I will send them your way. So thank you for your time and you have a great day. You too. Thanks, listeners, for tuning in and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.